The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from WarbirdRadio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening and hope to hear from you sometime at WarbirdRadio.com. G'day, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. And we're from Plain Crazy Down Under, Australia's aviation show. And you can find us at plainecrazydownunder.com. We reckon for the best coverage of the Kiwi warbird restoration and aviation scene, you can't go past Dave Homewood and the Wings Over New Zealand show. On you, Dave. Yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, we've got to get to New Zealand soon. Where is that anyway? Well, it's where I grew up. I thought that was Brisbane. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. In this episode, we're presenting a couple of different topics. First up, I'd just like to do a little bit of a promotion here for the Aviation Extended Podcast from the UK. The Aviation Extended Podcast covers all manner of topics, old and new, about aviation and space. The series is presented by three respected aviation journalists. XTP Media's Peter Johnson, the Global Aviation Resources Editor, Gareth Stringer, and Tim Robinson, the editor of Aerospace International. They cover air shows, industry developments, history, new books, all sorts of things. And they often have very interesting guests. Here's a little promo. This is Extended, the ETOPS Aviation Podcast. Here's Peter Johnson. We're in front of the Merlin. Can you tell us a little bit about the aircraft? What aircraft did you fly before? Uh, Suhoi 22. Right, okay. That's quite an interesting aircraft. Mm-hmm. What was that like to fly? Faster. Yeah. <laughs> Gareth Stringer. Make no bones about it, this is still a very capable aircraft. The cockpit's very cramped, you've got leg restraints on, you're sat on a seat that's got explosives in it. Tim Robinson. Uh, also the A400M, got to go inside and uh, have a poke around with just taking me on the trip of a lifetime in a F-18F Super Hornet. Aviation-extended.co.uk 
And remember, there's no E at the beginning of extended. Extended. Search for Aviation Extended online or on Facebook. Now another little thing that I'd like to remind you all of is on Sunday June the 1st 2014 at Ardmore Airport is the next Warbird Open Day commemorating D-Day, the big one, the 70th anniversary. These little open days are fantastic. It's a great opportunity to get up close and personal with a lot of old Warbird aircraft and see some of New Zealand's best Warbird displays for a very small price. Adults just $15, children under 14 free. I hope to get up there and maybe we'll see you there. The event starts at 10am and goes through to 4pm. Sunday, June the 1st, 2014 at Ardmore Aerodrome. One last thing I'd like to remind you all of before we get on with the show is that we're on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash show W-O-N-Z show or one word. See you there. Now, on to our first recorded session. Well, I'm talking with Jeff and Jessica Cooper of the uh, Fly DC-3 organisation with the C-47 Dakota. Hi Jeff. Hi Dave, and uh, lovely to have you back here at Ardmore as well. Thank you very much. It's Welcome. Lo- lovely to be here. And hi Jessica. Hi Dave, how are you? Good. Um, we're just talking about uh, Warbird flying, uh, uh, how people can flights in Warbirds in New Zealand and um, this would be probably the oldest organisation uh, in New Zealand for flying in a Warbird, would it not? Uh, yeah, I, I would think that you're probably right too Dave because the, the history of Warbirds goes back to 86, 87, 87 I think, thereabouts anyway and this aeroplane was at the forefront in fact, as you probably well know Warbirds up until recent times didn't own an aeroplane, they all belonged to syndicates right. you know, or individuals as well and uh, so we've been at the forefront of a Warbird Association you would say but over the years being dictated as uh, known as a Warbird has had its connotations and uh, Jesse made a big push and we all did in fact to to try and ease that angst that some people felt about, you know, they were going to Ardmore to fly on a warplane. Didn't have quite the same as appeal. It's something that's still painted military colours, but looks corporate, rather than, oh, you know, it's going out there to fire anger, you know, bullets and anger. So that's, that's where we've uh, started and led to. And of course, uh, Jesse came on board in and has uh, sort of managed the operation of the office throughout that time. And I have to say, it's been a big, not imposition on us, but it has required us to to really dedicate our time to the aeroplane. And as you well know, we're uh, volunteers, we don't like to use that word, in fact we're unpaid workers, and uh, we have put in a lot of hours into this aeroplane, and so have a lot of other people. Yes. And it's very hard to try and get, as you know, again, in a big syndicate, to get a, a decent number of people that are prepared to, you know, pull a little bit of weight and, and help you out occasionally. So it's it's not been easy for us, but at the same time, we've had a real enjoyment out of it, yes, haven't we? 
Yes, it's been wonderful actually, and Jeff and I just, we're so proud of being involved with this DC3, and we do enjoy it. I mean, there's times we just get to Saturday nights and think, oh no, Sunday, we've got to go out to Ardmore again. It's hard, hard work. But you get out here, you take the covers off the engines, the passengers arrive, you see their faces when they're flying, and it's just so worth it. We just love it. Um, As we were driving out this morning, we were talking about... Uh, you know, the DC-3, and and what's going to happen is those of us who get a little bit older sort of fall off our perches, and that's why we're really hoping, and we're encouraging new new people to come in and keep this DC-3 going. It is an aircraft that can keep going, just so long as the people um, are there to do it for them. That's good to see that today you've got some new people that are training up. Yes. We need the younger blood, Dave, there's no question about that. You know, the longevity or existence of this aeroplane is entirely dependent on them into the future. And if if you don't get them started early enough and while they've got some enthusiasm as well, then it's a lost cause, you know. And it's it's proven time and time again in the uh, Warbird uh, area here of operation is that there's a, a loathe to encourage the younger blood. And it's all because the guys, by and large, don't want to give anything away, you know. They've, they're doing formation flying, they love it, they train for it, and it's, it's their occupation, so to speak, and they stick to it. But it doesn't help when you've got a, a young guy comes along and says, oh, I would really love to do that, and the guys say, oh, I'm sorry, it's, you know, there's no openings at the moment. There should be. Yeah. And uh, I've watched it, you know, I'm nowhere near as long in the... Uh, New Zealand Warbirds movement as a lot of these uh, guys have been but at the same time I've been through the Air Force with most of them Yes, and uh, you know I've had a long association with it and many of them are top guys really top guys but sooner or later there comes a day when you have to say enough's enough and I need somebody else to take this over from me and and it gives me some cause for alarm with this aeroplane because Right as we stand, there is no uh, pilot at the moment lined up behind me to take my job, you know, and I've, I've got enough weight on my shoulders already, and I would, I would really like to think, I'm coming up into retirement next year, and I would really like to think that I can, I can go out and enjoy myself instead of it being, you know, a labour of love, I don't mind, yeah. but I need every now and again, same with Jesse. Got to have a break from this labour of love, you know. Yeah. And we're going. In fact, in July we're closing the shop doors, and we're off for a month because we need to. We need to unwind and and go and do things that we've missed out on for years. You know, our yes. boat hasn't been out of the carport since what year? Eight years. Wow. <laughs> it has to go and get a waff and get some petrol and get the trailer registered. <laughs> it hasn't been in the tide. So you know that gives you some indication of what we face, and I'm sure our neighbours look at us, you know, all but every Sunday morning over recent months. There they go again. You know, we're dressed up in our monkey suit, and away we go, and, and they must wonder what are these people doing. But you know, I love it. I still love flying the aeroplane because it is real bat and ball, seat of the pants, stick and rudder stuff, you know, yep. and that's what old aeroplanes are all about, you know, there's no modern technology in this thing, whatever, except for, you know, a GPS, GPS and everybody's got one of those, yeah. Even, you know, and your own camera's probably got one, Dave. May have, I haven't found it yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I hope to see this, we've got one or two of the younger guys, but it's uh, really important that they stick at it. Yep. 
or it's it's destiny is uncertain, yeah. just like the same. And you know that uh, Southern DC three parked the aeroplane at the end of January, yeah. just purely on Costs. Um, fiscal responsibility. Really, you know, they looked at the the annual and renewing the air transport license. And uh, they had a board to make their decision, just said, I'm sorry, but it's it's not viable. And so it rests in the hangar at Ashburton, but they're lucky because it's undercover, you know. Yes, yeah. But where, where this aeroplane goes in the future, uh, who knows? And the other thing, of course, is now that we've got another aeroplane at Auckland, we don't know what impact that's going to have on our operation. We do have some boutique operations that... Uh, really our own which may help us in the future but who knows i look at um our passengers as well and sometimes i think are they coming to fly on dc3 or are they wanting to see auckland from the air is it about a scenic flight or is it the dc3 and i'd say 95 percent want to fly on a dc3 because they can the upside of it is that they can fly over one of the most beautiful cities in the world and we do, we do have a good route around the um, around the Auckland. You know, there's not one place where it's a bit boring, where you're going, oh goodness, um, yeah. this is a bit boring. But yeah, no, the passengers want to fly on a DC-3, so it's nice to keep this going. Um, yeah, for well, not not just for Aucklanders, for tourists as well. Yeah. Well, um, tell me about the passengers. Uh, are you still getting the same number coming through as you have over the years? Uh, or is it, um, is it getting bigger, or? Things have dropped a little bit, I think. You know, money's tight for a lot of people, but there's still money out there. And where people would come out in couples or groups just for something to do on a Sunday and fly on a DC-3, it's now becoming a special event. So what we're trying to do is value-add with, you know, whether it's going to the Ardmore Cafe or giving them ideas of things to do for free on the way to here or from here. So we're trying to organise things like trail guides to, you know, from the North Shore or from West Auckland and other things to do. So they make a day of an aviation event. Um, With us, of course, is the pinnacle of flying. So to answer your question, I think the numbers are are pretty much of a muchness, but we're not growing where we should be. The way I see it, the passengers, um, every time I've seen you guys operating and, and I've had the privilege to fly, every one of them comes away with a huge smile on their face, including myself. <laughs> and it's such an experience that you can't really get anywhere else. And how many countries in the world are still doing this? There's not many, are there? No, we're uh, uncertain of numbers as it stands today because with the advent of uh, the EEC grounding, yeah. you know, Goonie Boots. Uh, right through the continent and had a profound effect on some of the major operators. You know, Air Atlantic had, I think, 16 aeroplanes. So it's knocked a bit of a hole in that. But there are still the enthusiasts take go outside the country here and go to the US of A and, you know, to see those guys, and they, they operate don't operate on air transport over there predominantly, they're just part 91, so a private operation. Yep. And they just go and have fun, you know. Yeah. But you've got to have the resources and the wherewithal you know, to operate the aeroplane, yeah. it's a hugely expensive task any time. And, you know, when I think back, this it'll be uh, Dak's 27th birthday this year. Oh, involved in New Zealand. In, in, that we've had it in the syndicate in New Zealand. Right. And I would love to have seen some sort of, you know, real endeavour made to get the aeroplane undercover. 
and and it's hard to believe that after all this time it still sits out here in the rain and the wind and the birds love it and, and it's heartbreaking because we spend a lot of money on uh, you know corrosion and issues that are created directly through the fact that it's not under cover and with a city the size of uh, Auckland Davis you well know you know nudging well over a hundred one and a half million people yep. if we could get them to put their hand in the pocket and give us just a gold coin this aeroplane would go into a hangar just like that yeah, absolutely and that is going to be the major mission for someone I don't know whether it'll happen in our time but I, I see big issues being created if it doesn't get under cover we've been told that time and time and time again and we all we have to ever say is we know we, we've tried but you know you talk about big money to put this aeroplane undercover yep. and where do you want it is the other thing so the, the other thing too with um all the passengers what they pay for their ticket goes straight into the aeroplane there's no one gets paid on the crew do they no and you know that's not a bean that's absolutely brilliant that people can come along they can buy a ticket and know that they're supporting the aircraft yep. and it, 100 percent yeah. yes absolutely yeah. we yeah. do get our expenses back you know if i uh purchase something while i'm away overseas that i find uh value for money and we can't be without uh, i will fund it from my own resources and by and large the syndicates uh, happy to reimburse me as long as it's they think it's you know it was a wise decision and it wasn't just a whim but uh, we've saved a lot of money from uh, bits and pieces that we've managed to procure you know while we've been in different parts of the world right, right. now today on the flight that we've just been on um, it was something that I had never thought about before but it was brilliant because there was a birthday party for, te for 10 year olds wasn't it yes yeah. and you know what a great way to celebrate a birthday mm -hmm. and they'll never forget that no they, you know no. party party at the headquarters and then hop on the plane go for a fly around Auckland yeah. Um, yeah. and then afterwards they were all so excited and asking you all these questions and it was just fantastic yes and, you know the opportunities like that for people out there to do something a bit different um, you know Talk, talk me through the different things that people have done with the aircraft. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Jessie's got the answer here because she does all that marketing and uh, organising of most of those sorts of endeavours. But, but I have to say, it, it's, there's a huge amount of pleasure, like you say, to get back off the aeroplane today and have uh, kids just bubbling, effervescent, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's, uh, that's, that's what makes it all worthwhile in the end. But that is not going to ensure the longevity of the aeroplane. We need uh, predominantly to up the ante on our flying hours. That's that's our biggest issue. We don't fly enough, but we're in a situation now where the syndicates are pilots. We're all airline pilots, essentially. Yeah. Captains, certainly. And it's a hit and miss whether we get anybody available on any given day, you know, off a roster. Yeah. So that's that's been a bit of a challenge, hasn't it? Yeah, it's the crewing, it's the captains that are the handbrakes on our operations at the moment for 2014. It's just the way it is. Um, and hopefully that will ease soon. We'll get some more people on board with that. You asked about other things that uh, we have done, and in the past one of the best things we did is we flew down to Fielding, which is uh, in the south of the North Island, and it was for a very special 65th birthday, and everybody had to get dressed up in theme, 1940s. Oh, well, it yeah. was amazing. Stunning, wasn't it? It was incredible, and people got dressed up in either military or 
posh going out, stepping out outfits. But there was someone who was a nurse who was, of course, dear to my heart. And she dressed up as a nurse and she had her, the first aid kit was her handbag. Anyway, we flew them down to Paraparam, and it was the most wonderful evening, wasn't it? The marquee, the 1940s music. It was just such a joy. And that's the sort of thing I'd love to bring back here to Auckland, where I really want to work in with event people, event managers, and have these 1940s or even 1950s retro days where we can just either go for a scenic flight or we can do something like pop across to Whitianga. It's only 25, 20 minutes away from Ardmore here. Go over there, have a picnic, go and have go to a, a restaurant there and come back. What a, an amazing day. And it's not expensive at all. It would be so cheap. That's right. Great yeah. day out. If, if you put this uh, aircraft into a uh, comparison currently, what's available on air transport in New Zealand, there's not really a lot of aircraft of this sort of capacity, and I'm talking, you know, we have 30 seats and we do have uh, limitations on how far we can go, but we can carry a reasonable amount of baggage, put 30 people in here, and wander down the country, not in style, but certainly in uh, a classic aeroplane, yeah. and, and people just love it to bits but it doesn't happen often enough you know yeah. and that's the issue yeah. we really the aircraft is on a 130 hour maintenance cycle and if we could get somewhere close to that this would be a completely different operation right completely different operation when you say it's not in style I, I, I would disagree with that because I think it's fantastically um, stylish to fly in this aircraft it's very comfortable um, it's uh, uh, you know, you, you're flying a lot lower than you would in an Air New Zealand aircraft, so you see more, yep. you've got way better scenery. And of course, on the long distance um, flights that you do to the air shows down in the South Island, that you have a champagne service. And <laughs> where do you get that on, on Air New Zealand these days? You know, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is fun. Well, we do we do love to do something nice. And when you said that, Jeff, you know, not in style, it's like we do do it in style. Yeah, yeah it is. So. It is lovely, and it is retro, and you do have that nineteen forties yeah. music, and and people love it. It is nice. It's just everyone slows down a little bit and yeah. just enjoys the moment. Yep. I mean, last year when we flew down to Omaka, there was um, several Warbirds people on board, yes. and I think that they hadn't flown before, and, and they were bubbling, and, you know, these are the guys that are around these aircraft all the time, yes. and they were just absolutely over the moon, and I, I just love seeing that. Yeah, well, that's good for us as well, I can tell you, yeah, yeah. We, that's that's what makes it all worthwhile at the end of the day, yeah, no, no question about that, is there? Yeah. And, you know, it was interesting, Jesse should raise that uh, flight to... Uh, fielding to Paraparam, you know, they went to some uh, expense and challenged to, they had a marquee set up at Paraparam because there was no facility on the airport, it was big enough, yeah. and they even had a wooden floor built into this marquee so that people wow. could, dance. you know, dance, yeah. dance and yeah. have a ball. And uh, yeah. the interesting thing was when we went to depart uh, fielding, all these uh, men and women were in their uh, finery and looked a million dollars, seriously. Yeah. And yeah. we taxied around... Uh, past some of the hangars and we got to a point of no return in one, one position where we couldn't get the wingtip around. And uh, you're not going to believe this, but these people, down with the air steer, out they pile. High heels. High heels, stockings, you know. In the grass. In, in their polished uh, gaiters and uh, boots and gaiters. And, and uh, would you believe it, there was sheep shit everywhere. <laughs> The airport is renowned, you know, they graze yeah. sheep on it all the time. Yeah. Well, they, 
and, but it was so funny because they climbed back on board and away we went well when we came back that night we had to uh, get out of Parapram because there's curfew on so we left at about 10.15 or so at night and flew back to Fielding in the dark right. with these people and uh, what an experience wasn't it it was amazing it was just absolutely a buzz but we don't get many of those, but when they happen, boy, they're good fun. They really are. I guess we just have to tell Auckland that we're here. Yep. And the thing, Dave, is that we, Jeff and I in particular, we spend so much time looking after the airline, looking after the paperwork and the logistics. We don't have time to do marketing. Right. And even though I've got all these ideas in my head, I just don't have time to do it. All the dollars, all the money. Yep. So... My wish is that we could get a grant for some money that we could put into marketing. And these new guys that have just started with us over the last two weeks, they are so encouraging. And they've got all these new fashioned ideas and new ways of, of marketing us. And it, it's fantastic. I, I feel such a little boy in my step now that I can actually get things done and have people to help me. Right, right. So looking up and um, I think we're going to do better rather than worse with this DC3 in the next couple of years. Great. You've got an all new Facebook page haven't you? Yes, Fly DC3 New Zealand. I had had it as Fly Dakota because I'd originally done it as if it was a person. I didn't realise you could do it as an organisation. So these guys have done a new one, Fly DC3, and uh, it's great. It's going really well. Um, do you want to talk about the, um, the fact that you can do funerals? And well, uh, we, we actually uh, don't do funerals as such, Dave. We, we do what we call uh, an aerial burial, which is the uh, dispensing of ashes, and uh, we use the device that we uh, cherish and call the grit kit. And... Uh, and I have to say, over a period of years, my dad was the prototype, and we made an awful mess, I can tell you, because the, the device we used, really, is just a piece of 100mm uh, downpipe, but it's fashioned into a nice turned aluminium box that sits in a piece of cowry. And we put a New Zealand flag down the front, and, and it's not, per se, done uh, rough and ready, is it? On the contrary, we do it with some dignity, indeed, and... and as it turned out, we spilt most of my, my father all over the carpet. He's probably still, you know, in nooks and crannies on the aeroplane as it stands today. But we learned from that, and we went away and modified this piece of kit. And we've done, I don't 10, know, 15. since. And every time, without exception, uh, people have been, even to the point where, I always remember at Palmerston North, too, the, the manager of Field Air, who's our major maintenance provider, uh, Bob, Bill, 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 it, it, I forget his uh, surname slips me, but uh, his wife, we went down to uh, go and scatter his ashes up in the Ruahines at his favourite tramping hut, and she wouldn't have a bar of it. There was no way that we were going to get on board that aeroplane. Well, we persevered, didn't we? And we did get on board, and uh, the family said it was the best thing that ever happened. She just... Loved she it. would have been so despondent had she not gone and uh, so we've had a, f a few good results from that and in fact in the next week we're doing a, another prototype demonstration fight for uh, funeral directors we've done, done one only about a month ago funeral directors and celebrants so we get them on board um, after explaining the practicalities of what we do get them on board and we use some grit and sand and bird seed and stuff like that 
and we use that um, as a pretend yeah. and it's it's wonderful they love it and since then um, the number of aerial burials that we've done has increased the bookings have increased yes. people love it we do do it with elegance and with professionalism um, it's done really nicely and with respect yeah. the passengers love it and they come away knowing that they've closed that circle that they've done it in a beautiful and grand way mm. and they've farewelled and, and you know even the crew we'll all get a little bit of a tight throat and have a little bit of a tear with them as well because we know how important it is for them mm. and uh, yeah it's we yeah. do it really well. I think it's a, and certainly a very important part of our regime, you know, and the type of operation and things that we can do that set us aside from uh, other aircraft in the country. And in fact, the same goes for uh, parachuting. Right. Mm. You know, there's uh, not a lot of aeroplanes in the country outside of the military that can take 30 jumpers, you know, to 10,000 feet yeah. and uh, bomb them out at, at reasonable cost. So we've, we've got some. Uh, good niche operations, haven't we? Yeah. But but that that's not going to be the bread and butter. Needs to be just straight out, more and more flying. Yeah. And we'll only get that with public support. You know, the, the interesting thing with uh, the Southern DC three is that they got immense support from the whole of the Canterbury province, and in particular Ashburton, who who just farmed them with money, yeah. and uh, they were very fortunate, and they were also. Uh, rather uh, fortunate again in fact that the uh, operation out of deep freeze and being at Christchurch a lot of the time they got some good assistance there yes, yes. so uh, it would be nice if we could just get somebody in Auckland to uh, stir a fund somewhere you know the mayor of Christchurch gave Southern DC3 quite a significant amount of money right the, we just need people in Auckland, instead of being at uh, Mission Bay on a Sunday morning drinking lattes, they need to get a bit of avgas in their veins and come and join us and yeah. and uh, give us a bit of support because that's, that's the only thing that's going to keep this aeroplane in the air. And the people of Auckland are a bit lax when it comes to being uh, patriotic towards something that's at their back door. Yeah. You know, yeah. And we've, we've seen that with what's happened with uh, other syndicates and societies you know they've, they've run into issues and we've we don't got, want that do we yeah we've yes uh, we've got three airports in around auckland and i know one is Fanuapai, which is military which is closed off but we are hoping that in the summer we could operate say four scenic flights out of Fanuapai, and that would um link in with all the western west people and perhaps the north shore people yep. and that would be great it would be good if we could do that um from time to time, it would be nice to do something from Auckland International. Ardmore is at the other end of Auckland, yeah. and yeah. a lot of people think that, you know, it's just so far away. But as I said earlier in this discussion, you know, we are looking at trail guides, things for people to do, make yeah. a day of it. Yeah. yeah, let's do what we can to meet the needs of Aucklanders, which is they need, I guess, to be literally driven to here. Mm. And um, once they're here, they go, wow, it's amazing. Right. You've just got to tell them that we're here. Right. So basically, people can come out on. Well, they'll contact you first. They, they'll come out on a Sunday, or do you do Saturdays as well? No, generally because most families are doing sports and things True. like that. So Sunday seems to be the day. Yeah. Um, it's always eleven o'clock departure before the the afternoon turbulence. It used to be three o'clock in the afternoon, and in winter, by the time the aircraft was back and the aircraft was put 
put away, it was dark. dark. And people were driving home in the dark. So we moved it to 11 o'clock in the morning. It works well. Then people can go and have lunch and do something special afterwards. Yes, yes. So Sundays, yes, um, that's the days that we do our public scenic flights. But we'll do charters or that sort of thing any day, so long as we've got the crew. Yeah, well, that's, that's yeah. A, they can come out on the, on the Sunday for the, the scenic flights through yes. most of your flying season, which you, yes. you don't fly in the winter. We can't. Winter is often very calm. It's, okay. it's the equinox, which is sort of August, September, October. That's when it gets very stormy, and that's when we have to cancel a few flights because of the weather. So we we try to perhaps, you know, have enough people coming out for at least one day of that month, and and make them, you know, let them be flexible. Hey, the weather forecast looking good. How about all the August people come this particular day? Right. Right. Yeah, and people can look at our website, which is just flydc3.co.nz. They can look at the website, they can book on that, and it goes immediately to my email, and then I can link into them immediately. Or they can just ring us, email us. Um, Yeah, we're trying all sorts of methods for people to easily book in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and if they have an event like today's 10-year-old birthday party, or um, if they've got a steak party or, yep, or, or, absolutely. or we've done those as well yes we have we'll do anything that uh, we can put people into it we, clearly we can't do what a helicopter can but we'll operate to any field in this country within reason you know there are some limitations because yep. of the, we're not big into short grass strips for example but you know we can take them just about to any province in fact we can mm. in the country yep. and uh, you know they've, they can have a fun aeroplanes at their convenience you know there are no hidden costs we give them all their uh you know the invoices and that quotes are all done up front we don't uh play the game you know spring surprises and in a lot of cases uh we'll sharpen the pencil as well but uh i just i just my big desire is that the people of auckland would just rally round you know it's not i don't think it's a big ask but perhaps we've been a bit lax in chasing uh, major sponsorship. But, but it, of course, everybody today wants something for nothing. And we've found that ourselves. You know, we've had dozens of schools, haven't we, approach us for gift outs and stuff like that. And whilst we're happy to help out when we can, we see very little in return. You know, it's, that's the disappointing part about it, you know. So it's, it's a give, give, give all the time for us where we, uh, you know... We have to think seriously about some of those yeah. type of uh, gifts we give now. Yeah. Yeah. Also, something else that comes to mind is that over the years, this aircraft's been involved in a um, fair few adverts on television. Mm. And if anyone out there wants to do anything with advertising, they could contact you as well, couldn't they? Yes. Yeah. In fact, we've just come back uh, from Wanaka. We were asked to go down there in March at, at short notice, and we were able to do it and flew down in the most glorious weather and it was for an advert for um, a mobile phone company. Oh, right, yes. Yep. And it was wonderful. And we, it was, yeah, pretty, they are pretty generous, and we did very well, and we need that money because this year, of course, is a major um, annual overhaul. But it was wonderful, great experience. And we've done quite a few. We've done, um, I think, one for, oh, another mobile phone company too. Yes, we did uh, Nokia many Nokia. years ago. Yeah, and of course there's been cereals. Yep. I remember the one that stands in my mind the most, and that's um, Eat a Ripples. Eat a Ripples, yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. That was yes. great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, no, it's a, it's a good air, aircraft for that, because we are low and slow, and we 
you know, we've got good pilots who are able to do lots of, yeah, I think Jeff had to dress up as a clown. <laughs> I and did. A clown yeah. pilot, that's right. I did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've had lots of fun. Um, yeah. And of course we drop the um, Kiwi Blue at air shows yep. as well, yep. and they love it, they love it, it's something a little bit different for them. Yeah, and it's good for the, the air show crowds to see you guys get out there and do a bit of a display, and yes. yeah. they can go flying at an air show as well with you yeah. most, most of the time, can't they? I think it's interesting, I remember a few years ago thinking how incredible we went down to Omaka, so we take the passengers down, it's a champagne flight on the way down as you said, take off the door, we do a Kiwi Blue blue jump then we put the door back on then we do scenic flights so we we sort of do all sorts of things yeah. you know we're a jack of all trades really yeah, yeah and we can do it and we do it well and we do it professionally and there's no one else doing it isn't it there's absolutely no, no one else doing no. it all those things it's like this is a unique aircraft a unique, unique organization in new zealand and um it's 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 really um you know, it's, it should be part of our culture. Every, everyone knows it from television. Yes. They know the Dakota yes. as, a, as a type. And, yeah, yeah, to get people out, to, to come out, and they need to realise they can come out and, and yeah. meet you guys yes, and go for a flight. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting comment, Dave, in fact, because uh, this aeroplane for 27 years almost now has flown over downtown Auckland, I hate to think how many thousand times. Yeah. And you'd be staggered at the number of people that will look skyward as this aeroplane carves across the sky and said, What's that? Or where did they, I wonder where that came from? Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and we've been here, like I say, 27 years. But it's just too expensive to advertise. Can you tow a banner behind it? <laughs> well, we probably <laughs> could if we wanted. <laughs> we we, well, you know, we could hook on a glider, so we must be able to tow a banner. Yeah. <laughs> Need a, a few mods and yeah. yeah. Look, we could we could advertise in the Herald. We could do that. But that's a third of our budget yeah, for the week exactly. is gone yep. on advertising. And it, we used to do that before I got involved and um, it was with another group that was operating. And, you know, it, it worked, but we just can't afford it. That, that no. eight or $900 a week just for a small advert um, needs to go back into the aircraft. Yep. Yep. Mm. Yep, sure does. Yeah, well, I just hope that it just keeps on going forever and ever because I think it's a fantastic aircraft. Well, you know, the end of the day, Dave, is there is nothing on this aeroplane but for the engines that are lifed. Yeah. So as long as there's money around to finance the maintenance, it can fly on forever. Yeah. You know, it's nothing that money won't fix. That's all it needs. And while we're talking about that, it's also the people, you know. I mean, OK, I know Jeff and I put a lot of effort into this, but I look at, say, six to ten of others of our crew, our pilots, our cabin crew, our dispatchers, and they are amazing as well. Yes. And the, the time and the effort that they put into to meetings, into assisting me with communications, with doing minutes for stuff, for meetings, and coming out here, putting their own money into accommodation when we go away to air shows. You know, no yeah. one else would do that, yeah. but the Fly DC3 crew do. You know, we pay for everything our own. Yeah. That is amazing. Mm. Others would not do that. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I, I take my hat off to the rest of our, our operating crew as well, yeah. and they're such a support. I, I totally agree with that. I've met a number of your uh, crew over the years, and they always come across as enthusiastic. Mm. Um, they, they really make the experience fantastic, mm. actually, all of them. You were fortunate to have those people. There's no, no doubt about mm. that. Yeah. It would be lost without them, in fact. Mm. Yeah. Especially the enthusiasts, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. 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 
Uh, is there anything else we haven't covered? <laughs> I guess um, I could throw in that uh, people can come and talk to you guys on uh, June the 1st at the Warbird Open Day. Yes. Which um, you'll, have a, you'll have a booth there. and. Yes, we won't be flying that day, we we'll probably won't be flying that day due to the rostered, um, the captains are all rostered away out of the country, but what we'll do, we'll come out on our day off and uh, we'll position the aircraft close to where people can actually come on board and have a look, so you don't have to buy a ticket for a flight, but you can actually come and have a look on this very precious aircraft. If people want to buy gift vouchers, that's absolutely fine and discuss bring your, charges. Bring your wallet and your purse. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we'll still do, we'll still do that, yeah, June 1st out at Ardmore. Yep. And, and if there's um, anyone out there who wants to volunteer to join the team and help out? 0800 Fly DC3. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just call me and we'll put you on to the right person. Brilliant. Mm. Well, thank you very much. You're very thanks, welcome, Dave. Dave. And thanks for giving us the time too, yeah. you know, to do this for us because it all certainly makes a difference. Oh, I'm always no, happy to. No yeah. question. Yeah. Always, always a pleasure to have you on board with us too. Thank you. Mm. I appreciate that. I do apologise for the intermittent wind noise on that recording. Unfortunately, that's what happens when you're on an airfield. Believe it or not, it was a very calm day. I don't know where the wind noise even came from. Anyway, on to our next recording. And I'm back with Noel Curries. Hi, Noel. Hi, Dave. How you doing? Good, good. And uh, we're just going to get a bit of an update on your beautiful little Ryan, um, Charlie. How's Charlie doing? Charlie's doing fine. Um, probably the first thing I should say about it's not looking quite so beautiful at the moment. That polished aluminium looked absolutely magic the day I first flew it. I haven't polished it since, and it's amazing what splattered bugs and oil does to a glossy <laughs> polished finish. <laughs> it's still not bad, but uh, I've, I've got to get seriously back into it. Um, but I went through the test flight pro, the initial part of the test flight programs. I think I mentioned on the previous chalk we had about it was just to make sure that the engine and the airframe worked. I, I didn't have any avionics in the airplane at all, so I was working with a handheld radio strapped to my leg. Oh, that's right. Yes. And uh, and my good friend Megan Thomas was in the tower. She's gone now, unfortunately. She's moved to uh, to want to um, Queenstown. Uh, so she just sort of parted the water so I could do my thing. So I spent about almost 10 flights, 10 or 12 flights, going round and round circles overhead the airfield. Okay. All right? I think on one occasion I went just a little bit further away so I could do some sort of basic aerobatics when I was up to that. But I was still within the control zone. Um, and that all worked fine. I had a, a slight rigging problem with one of the ailerons, which I thought strange because the wings were perfectly okay, but it was an aileron rigging problem, not a wing rigging problem. I won't go through the how you figure that out. Until I remembered that way, way back, and it's uh, when it was first when it was demobilised from the Air Force and was in that hangar in, in Evans Head when the tropical cyclone dropped the hangar, it had a damaged aileron. Oh, right. And I went back through the logbooks and sure enough, it said, you know, the aileron was damaged. And I do recall when I had the, all the more reskinned, the, uh, the guy who did it hand, gave me back the aileron after he turned off saying, hey, this repair job needs to be sort of fixed up. Um, the repair job uh, had got corroded, so I had it redone again. So getting back to the basic principle that no two ailerons are exactly alike, and when you have one bent and fixed and the other one's not, they're going to fly slightly differently. So sure enough, it wanted to uh, the stick wanted to move, it wanted to roll gently. Anyway, I, I fiddle around for two or three flights getting the right size tab, not one that you can see. It's one of the ones, little wedge tabs that fits underneath the aileron so you can't see it, okay. which means you can't just bend it like the old style one, you've got to change the size of them. So I played around two or three different sizes and came across one that fitted neatly underneath there and worked fine. So that solved that one. But there was about three little local flights for that. 
And then, of course, I was constantly monitoring the, the engine. And I found that it was running a bit cold, so I played around with a couple of little baffles to go over the oil cooler. And now I've got the oil temperatures up. So a lot of little little technical things like that. And each flight was about half an hour just to get it up there and circle around and then just a bit of fun flying it and all. So very quickly, it, it, it uh, these individual flights mounted up. So I'd done five, six or seven hours, I think, overhead the airfield. Yep. And it was, come, it was then time to move further afield. And so the very last one I did, I sort of took it out to the local uh, low-flying area, which is my aerobatic area when I'm flying the pits, and started doing some basic aerobatics out there. Uh, but I realised that I couldn't keep doing this without getting all the appropriate avionics in it. So, at that point I was pretty happy that I had the aeroplane completed and now it's time to sort of upgrade it with avionics. I had a little avionics package which I bought for the Emeraud 12 months previously, so I went and bought them again, microware from, uh, from Australia, neat little unit. And um, I made a little bracket and installed them. And to power them, <laughs> this is an interesting thing, since the aeroplane basically has no electrics at all, there's no battery, no starter, nothing like that, I thought, well, what am I going to power these things with? I need a, one of these new, uh, what are they, these, these, these modern batteries that you find in electric drills and things, which drive an electric drill for two hours you know, at full power before they fail, and, uh, and they're actually quite efficient. And someone said to me, well, why don't you just use one of them? Because the little receptacle, that means you can clip it in and out real quick. I thought, what a clever idea. So I went to the local uh, um, Mitre 10 hardware store and had a look at all the various shapes and sizes of electric drills and things there and found one which had the perfect sized recharging device and of these very flat little battery packs. Okay. And I thought, right, I'll buy one of these and I'll buy the extra fittings to go with it. No, no, you can't buy the extra fittings you, if you because I had to convert one of the charges into a receiver by changing one of the wires over. So I've, I now have two electric drills. <laughs> but that's okay, because I, 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 have a, I have one battery which runs the thing, and I carry the other battery in the pocket, a little side pocket I had made, just in case. Yep. Anyway, uh, so I, I, I screwed the little recharger device, which I've modified into a receiving device, onto the floor under my leg, ran the wires around, and hooked up the radios, and, so, and they worked fine. So my next question was, well, how long are they going to work on one of these batteries? So I turned all the radios on, plugged the battery in, and let it run. ran for four hours before the battery went flat. Right. That didn't include transmission, so I figured, oh, about three hours was safe. The airplane only has a two-and-a-half-hour maximum endurance, so I'm going to run out of fuel before I run out of battery, and I've got the other battery there. Right. So as long as I keep, in, keep track of them and keep, keep them charged up, uh, fine. And they, they work fine. So I, have, I spent, a, oh, a month, six weeks getting and installing and the wiring and the antennas and all that sort of stuff uh, to get it all working and then took it on a, a little local flight just to check that they could hear me and see me because the transponder had to work and they could, no problem at all. Right. So everything booms out there. So then I started taking the airplane further afield. About this stage it was time for its first grease if you like, <laughs> grease and oil change. I decided I'd change the oil at about uh, 10 or 12 flights just so it's flashed out all the stuff so I gave it a complete oil change. I greased all the rockers and so forth and went through and adjusted all the, the tappet clearances. It sounds like I'm getting in too much detail here, but unfortunately what I did, I didn't lock up a couple of the tappet adjusters firmly enough with the lock nut. I, I was sort of being a bit too delicate, I didn't want to sort of stress anything or strip any threads. So on its very first flight, away from <laughs> away from the airfield, <laughs> I'm about 15 miles away at about 3,000 feet just having got to the top of climb and all of a sudden there's this brrrr, and the whole engine started to vibrate 
and I lost power and I thought, oh no, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> so I instinctively turned and pointed back towards the airport and uh, I noticed that I could get, I, still, I was still maintaining height, but I was down on airspeed, I was down on RPM and I needed a lot more manifold pressure to sustain it. So I had power, in fact I had enough power to fly level. So I thought, okay, but I'm coming home, something's wrong. So I motored on home, did a straight-in approach onto the grass runways there, and as soon as I touched down, I shut down the engine in case there was something going to internally hemorrhage. And we got the airplane back to the hangar. And one of the push rods, the, one of the induction push rods, actually induction valve push rods, fell out of the cowling onto the ground. Mm. And I'm still in the cockpit when this happened, because we pushed it back and I got in the cockpit to lock, unpark, no, park the brakes and all. And as soon as it happened, I knew what it was. I thought, there's only one way that can come loose, and that is if the adjuster on the tappet had vibrated so loose that you know nothing holding the pushrod because they're all exposed. You see, they're not in tubes or anything. Yep. And sure enough, here's the uh, one of the intake uh, rockers compl swinging completely free after I dropped the cows. <laughs> the screw had almost wound its way all the way out, completely freed up, so the pushrod fallen out. So what it meant was I was only running on three cylinders. The intake valve on the number four cylinder wasn't opening. The good news is I now know the airplane will sustain height on three cylinders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, did, it was a total disaster. So, of course, I reset all of that, rechecked all the tensions, and then went around with lock wire and lock wired all these little things. So there's <laughs> no way they're coming undone anymore. So that was just my own dumb fault. But I, as I say, the, the, the outcome of it wasn't too bad, and I did learn that I can sustain height on three cylinders in an airplane. So, yeah, well done. Um, so having sorted that one out and then very carefully gone for other flights just and checked it again, you know, got to remember I pull the cowls on a lot on this airplane just to check everything's okay. Yeah. But I'm getting a bit more confident in it now. So then I started taking it out and doing some more serious test flying uh, to take it out to the edges of the flight envelope to see how it handled. And I approached this probably a little too cautiously. But I, I might have mentioned when we spoke previously, I'd heard all of these stories about this aeroplane. You know, about, oh, you've got to watch them. You know, you know, old Bert and Joe were flying downwind and it just fell out of the sky. And I had a, I'm thinking, oh, that's, that's got to be crap. It's aerodynamically, of course, that's just got to be crap. Aeroplanes just don't fall out of the sky. But maybe there's something. Uh, I was quite happy or prepared to believe that it would tip stall quite violently because it was a military trainer. And you know you needed to train your pilots in that sort of aeroplane because some of the fighters that they were upgrading to were like that. Yeah. You know you didn't want to tip stall a P-51 on a hard turn, flick on its back. Yeah. A few people have found flying P-51. We're away, or the Harvard particularly, with those tapered wings. Yeah. So I thought, well, maybe it does it. So I started approaching it very cautiously, just stalling in turns and then stalling in skidding turns and then wanging into a full-blown side slip and stalling it and then a full flap, full side slip, stalling it. And the airplane's a big pussycat. Okay. I could not make it bite me. I literally, having worked up to this over three or four flights and coming because they have little cameras. Yeah. And along the way, I discovered a couple of the, the landing wires were a bit slack too when I pulled some G, so I was adjusting those. So there's two or three going on at the same time, two, three. And uh, finally, I thought, I had this one particular flight. I thought, right, I've taken you to the edge of the flight envelope and you haven't bit me. Let's take you beyond and see what you do to me. So I literally tried to make it bite me. I got to a safe height, and I hauled it into a hard turn, stalled with totally out of balance situation. And the airplane just said, no, nah, don't feel like it today. It just wired along a bit wobbly. It didn't do anything vicious at all. Now, I know a guy who, who, who claims that he flicked one into the ground. Well, I don't know how he did it. Either the airplane was totally out of rig or something was wrong. I could not make it bite me. So, and that spread over oh, three, four, five flights where I cautiously went up to this level. 
And so when I came to write the, uh, the flight manual, which I had to do to CAA, I, I gave them a lot more than they expected because I wrote about the handling of this airplane for future generations, for all the bullshit that's been said about them, okay. and all the cautious people who've said, watch it and don't do this. I've said, uh, basically, without using the words, I've said, it's all bullshit. If your airplane's rigged properly, you can do whatever you damn well want, and it will not bite you. So I've got to the stage now of quite, being quite delighted in doing full flap side slipping turns to finals and so forth to cut the corner all sorts of, and it does it wonderfully it's like the pits and of course the next the final step could take it out and spin it okay by now i'm pretty in fact i'm, I'm almost wondering if it's going to spin because i couldn't actually make it bite me by mishandling it is it really going to spin took it out to about five thousand feet or so out in the raglan area uh, and that's where again i haven't not thought about it too much i suddenly realized where the supercharger really starts to work for you because I'm still pulling 30 inches of manifold pressure passing 5,000 feet. It's out climbing most light airplanes of the same horsepower. Okay. Like the Robin's 160 horsepower, and I reckon the Robin could probably outclimb my Ryan in the first couple of thousand feet, but after that, no, no, no. Yeah. And it's still going up like a rocket ship. I thought, wow. So I'm easily regaining my height every time and doing it. So I did, oh, a half a dozen spins the first time, you know, one turn, then two turn, then three turn, up to about four turns. And the entry was classic. Um, and the recovery is within three quarters of a turn, even after a four-turn spin. Yeah. Using the traditional technique, it doesn't quite like the Beggs-Mueller technique as much. Uh, a bit slower, but it does come out. But just using the traditional technique, and it was just entering and recovering and spinning smoothly. <laughs> just, you know, and I was doing it near Raglan Airfield simply because the fact that uh, when uh, spinning the Robins, of course, I actually stopped the prop. Yeah. They spin so flat that the propeller will stop. And so you air start it or you have electric start. Well, in Charlie, I have no electric start. So either I've got to air start it or I've got to land. Yes. So I figured I'd stay somewhere near gliding distance of Raglan. Not that I would have any problem with air starting it because uh, it's such a low compression engine. It's designed for hand propping. It never, never occurred to the airplane to stop the prop. The airplane, the engine just ticked over. And I came away from all of this just thinking, wow, what a great airplane. So whilst I sort of loved it from the point of view of its tradition, I now love it from the point of view of its handling. And when you go back and, and realise that it's a not designed in 1934, upgraded in its, to its mir uh, military uh, configuration a couple of years later, but that's only the you know, size of cockpits and power of engine and all, but the airframe itself was actually a brilliant design. Okay. Absolutely brilliant. Excellent. And uh, along the way, the only malfunction I had, apart from the thing that I caused myself, I got a crack in the oil tank. I suddenly realised I was starting to consume a bit more oil, but I was starting to wear about it. And I'm up to sort of basic you know, loop, stall, turn, roll type route manoeuvres I was doing. I thought maybe that's causing it. So uh, I kept track of the oil consumption, but it was getting higher and higher. But also the amount of oil that was throwing over the sides and down the back was getting quite bad. One day I came back with oil over the windscreen. And I thought, oh, this is not good. So I really dug in and found that the oil tank had developed a crack underneath it. Uh, there's inside this baffle plates and one of the baffle plates uh, they were riveted on and there was a crack around one of the rivets which had spread it was about an inch long crack and of course under once it got hot it was spraying oil everywhere so i had to pull that out of course and, and drain the oil yet again and uh, and have it all cleaned and welded up and then i put a reinforcing plate underneath it to stop any oil canning at the bottom there and since then no problem at all the reason I mention that is because this oil went everywhere, all over my polished fuselage <laughs> and all over the wing roots and everywhere, which I cleaned off. But even so, um, the polish that you know, I've used, uh, the modern polish, had this chemical basin which somehow seals the 
the metal and keeps it shiny. Well, it gets gone. It took out most of that, so I've got to go back and reuse this polish all over the fuselage again, which I haven't got around to because I've been enjoying flying it. Maybe we should ask for some um, volunteers. <laughs> <laughs> Grab a rag, everyone. <laughs> oh, no, these are the proper little electric buffy thing to do oh, it properly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so and I, I flew it last, uh, just for fun, last Friday, because it was a lovely day. And um, I've noted since then that it's dribbled probably half a cup full of oil underneath, because you know, it does leak a little bit of oil, being exposed rockers and all. So its oil consumption is down, the engine sort of bedded in a bit. And it's just cool, and it just handles. I just went out to the low flying area and did a half an hour's worth of aerobatics and circuits yeah. for the fun of it. Cool. The airplane handled fine. So it's out of its fl its test flying. Um, about a month or so ago, I wrote the flight manual, I finished the test flight report, and sent it off to the CAA. And literally within two days, I had a certificate of airworthiness. So it's now a fully certified warbird. Uh, can go anywhere, anytime, anytime, any any way I want in the country. Um, so now I'm just enjoying flying it. Um, I will not be enjoying polishing it again, but that's all part of the deal. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, mission accomplished. The aeroplane is a great aeroplane, better than I thought it would be. Um, I've dispelled all the rumours that I've heard, and this aeroplane is just wonderful. And I can't say much more than that, except I'm just going to enjoy flying it now. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Okay, fine. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.